0: happy to announce to all of our listeners that we have the pleasure of welcoming Alan Watt back we had some technical difficulties which remain a mystery but we took that instead of an obstacle we took it as an opportunity and this brought Alan back to us so the lost 15 minutes will be compensated with a full additional hour so I'm happy to say we took a negative and converted it to a positive with Alan's good graces and I welcome you back Alan It's a pleasure to be back. And the pleasure is ours as well, so it's really good when it's mutual. So I would like to start again, because you have your own podcast, you have your own information outlet, and I'm not about to usurp that. So my objective with our continuing dialogue is to get a little bit more of the man behind the message. So when we were rudely cut off in the first attempt at uh, continuing our dialogue, we had left off with you talking about going into the shortwave radio. So can you give us a little bit more of chronology so that we can take it from there to where you're at now? And also include, please, you you had embarked on a musical career, and I have heard your music, and it's absolutely wonderful. So can you address that a little bit in terms of what made you leap from music and what you were doing in that to, to delve into this?
1: Yeah, I mean, music... Uh... Was something I was always involved in from an early time, and in fact I, I got into it so easily that it, it did not seem like work to me. To be honest with you, it, it was so enjoyable and easy to me the way it came that uh, even when you were doing it and earning the money, it, it just seemed like you were not working. And uh, initially, I study other things and so on, uh, and I have a few things to put on the wall if I ever wanted to. Not that uh, not I'd even bothered, but eventually made it my career, and I traveled across most of the world. I noticed the changes that were happening from Britain and laws being passed and then going into other countries maybe the following week, to hear the same things on the news in those countries, which made me realize that the same laws are being passed across the whole of Europe at the same time, and yet no country thinks that any other country is doing it. They think they're all independent because the newscasters never mentioned the fact that these are, these are European laws that are being passed in all countries. So it was easy to see that there's a, a form of an equalization process in the legal system going on at that time. It was also happening with the economic system, of course. And they were telling the public all the time that it was just to do with trade and commerce. Well, every student of economics knows that the laws of a country, all laws of a country, right down to all the criminal law, evolve around your economic system, so you can't sort off or kind of integrate an economic system and retain your sovereignty Mm -hmm. that was obvious so i knew they were being lied to and then i got to talk because after big shows or concerts and i I played all kinds of music because i also wrote music and sold a lot of music so i could do from folk to rock to whatever and even classical occasionally on my own in large concert halls sometimes you get asked back to politicians homes in other countries after shows and uh, they'd often say little little things to you as they sort of looked at you and almost analyzed you, and they'd feel you out. And it wasn't until afterwards, of course, these little things would come back to you, like, what did this person actually say to me? And one of them in Norway was a woman up in the parliamentary system there. She's now at the United Nations.
2: <laughs> no surprise there, her. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah,
1: and and I remember her saying some odd things about um, reality to do with Culture, because I was in that business as culture creation you know most mm-hmm. people don't think of it as, as that but it's what it is and I already knew of course by meeting different managers and arrangers and, and people of that ilk that there was a tiered system within the music system of what they wanted from the top and they even put a little rumor mill where they make suggestions at the top for formats of songs that were likely to be wanted in the near future Little politically correct things would be inserted and come down to the writers. So you knew there was a a political agenda at work as well. Sometimes you get around it, depending on how carefully you phrase the words in a song. Most musicians go along with it. Much of the music is rewritten in the studio by professionals. Then the bands are made to be hits or stars because the elite have decided that's what they want pushed. However, she was talking about this as a politician, and she mentioned the fact that most people don't know uh, that they haven't had any sovereignty uh, since the United Nations Charter was signed at the end of World War Two, and that was the first time I heard that there was a parallel government at work, which was not elected by the people. And these things sort of floated through me, and I gathered them as I went along, hearing other people say the same things in powerful positions.
0: Now, was she sharing this with you in order to determine whether you could be manipulated?
1: I, I've had this often. Yeah. I mean, even when I had scholarships. Uh, Given to me, and people would come up from the Ivan colleges or universities from London, not just once either. Said no, they keep coming and trying to convince you to come along. And I knew by the the way they they really did analyse you; it wasn't just a conversation. They were they were filling you out mm-hmm. to see where you're. See, most people. And here's the thing: I don't think if you understand this. And it's what made me delve into the whole area of the psychopathic personalities who generally dominate history through violence and force and cunning, primarily because they're willing to use violence or get others to use it for them. And this kind of system, that's what conquers, that's what generally wins in a commercial monetary winners and losers type system. And what happens is that the higher the intellect in most people, not all, but in most people, it's almost like they lose or, or they don't have... That little part they're more psychopathic they, they lose compassion or they don't have that little part of the, the brain working which gives them compassion
0: missing a chromosome
1: yeah and that's very true but as say, most have it but not all have it there are some good people out there but very few even the ones who have uh, compassion or empathy once they're in the Ivy League system and being groomed for higher positions. They, they're afraid like everyone else is in this system of uh, poverty, loneliness, uh, bad health and no money, all these So they get a payoff and status in the society which of guarantees them a fairly easy living. Uh, and they're reluctant even when they, they, they know what they're doing is wrong for the people in high bureaucracies, they will still go along with it. So I gathered all this down through the years I mean, it's the same thing in all culture creation. Now, culture creation was mentioned in the days of Plato, by Plato, that it doesn't come along spontaneously. The dominant minority in every era, That the same term that Aldo Huxley used in his speech at Berkeley, the dominant minority always exists. Often they're very quiet behind the scenes, but they have a total grasp on everything because they hire underlings to keep the pulse of the public, take the pulse all the time. Right, and therefore any change that came from the grassroots that was not planned by them themselves or authorized could have unforeseen consequences on the power structure so therefore they implemented culture changes from the top on down that was the old, old agenda many of these uh, strange in all eras and all times and periods you've had Secret societies in one form or for another or fraternities where people swear allegiance to each other to uphold each other, stand for each other, and if necessary, lie for each other in court, as they still do today in Freemasonry, They all swear to lie if need be to save a brother. And that's how they, they pick like a sifting ground, the ones they can use and push up the ranks. And there's no doubt about it. A lot of the people at the bottom who do believe initially there's a charitable organization and a self-improvement type thing by uh, learning their virtues, they become the front cover unw- unwittingly most of them. But those who are psychopathic get picked out and put further up the ladder because they've been tested and tested and tested to see if they can keep secrets.
0: So it's almost like a selective survival of the sickest.
1: Yes, it is. And little payoffs come along along the way. Because behind all the charitable thing, once you go up, you find out that one scam on top of another scam, where all the money and benefits come from the public purse, that's where it all comes from. They get into the the big honey jar of the public purse is what they all do ultimately. They've been tried and tested to see if they can keep these secrets, and that's why they're selected. And they really are tested along the way. And along the way, too, because they'll take certain gifts, or some people would call it bribes, they're now blackmailable should they change their minds. However, most of them, even, even at the Ivy League level, where they're often initiated and picked, know that they will open themselves to blackmail if need be. And they're quite content with that situation, because to the psychopath, that's a natural thing. He would blackmail like me if they had to, too. So I understand that.
0: And given now that they tried to attract you with honey and you didn't bite, I think uh, there were a few of my listeners who were asking about how you'd be able to broadcast this information without any threats mm-hmm. and without any potential uh, harm mm-hmm. coming to you. If, if you'd like to share a couple of anecdotes, yeah. I know you've had specific incidents occurring where that indeed did happen to you.
1: Oh, yeah. I, I almost had my last place burned down, and then I had uh, both of the flexible brake lines on the front of my car cut. Uh, luckily, I didn't have far to go, and I was going backwards just out the driveway, and it went in the ditch. Uh, and, of course, I had, uh, I had I had different agencies watch me. Uh, one of them watched me with night vision one night when I was walking the dog. The, the green light, the luminescent light, it was reflecting off his face. That's how I spotted him. He didn't have them up to his eyes. <laughs> And I set I the dog loose on him and chased him, and he ran into the swamp, which I knew was there. <laughs> so I left him there. But uh, And then I had my phone line. I, I had a, it started to go at half volume and lots of clicking and stuff. And then uh, I opened up the box outside to see if they cleaned. Uh, There's a little uh, chip uh, wired into the circuit. And like you could see it was a semi-transparent chip wired into that circuit right there. So I just cut it out. So you get all these things. And what you have really in this system which is like a pyramid, and it truly is under total control, pretty well total control. You have different agencies, a myriad of agencies, each using different levels of science, down to agencies at the bottom that use the standard old-fashioned stuff, which they think is the latest. Uh, And they overlap in each other. And Meanwhile, the ones at the top keep silent. They're the ones who've always tapped phones, long before 9-11 came along, without warrants and so on. That's the real world. That's how the real world has always been since... We're given the telephone. Hmm. You have one system for the public to believe in, and that's what this woman, this politician, was referring to. That is the matrix. That's why I I, I use the matrix for my talks, because that's the matrix that we're all conditioned into believing is natural and real. And then it's further, it's like Jack C. Lowell said, and he was a top sociologist who eventually worked for the United Nations. Jack C. Lowell said, he said, the public never know you know, what's really going on. They're given a reality from the news and they believe it. They truly believe they're on the cutting edge of all information. And even this same guy, Jack Salal, said that uh, the the Western society are completely unaware that every individual from the city to the smallest village to the, to the, the isolated rural area, every individual has had personality profiles made on them since 1952, and that was before the public heard about computers or anything. Wow. Uh, and he said, this information is gathered in such a way that the public must never be told how the data is collected. So we've always been under, you see, it's like the Rees Commission. I don't know if you heard about Norman Dodge was sent by the U.S. Congress to investigate the big charitable foundations like the Rockefeller, Ford, Carnegie, and so on. Hmm. And uh, he was a, he, this guy was just a typical example of a guy who believed in all his own indoctrination from school up. And he talked to the guy in charge of Ford Foundation because uh, the Congress had wanted to know why these big foundations, these charitable foundations that were tax-exempt and dishing out millions and millions of dollars every year were funding what seemed to be left-wing organizing. And uh, the guy at Ford told him, And I've got it on tape. And he said, well, you don't understand. Everybody here at this foundation is an ex-OSS member. That's the precursor of the CIA. Okay. And it's also staffed by people that are ex-CIA. And then he said, we take our orders directly from the White House. Now, that ties in with what Professor Carol Quigley talks about in Tragedy and Hope and the Anglo-American establishment, where Quigley said... That for 50 years or more, he said, there's been a parallel government with its own agenda, which gets things done in society. Because they realised a long time ago that with the conflicting party system uh, and the arguing, debating and egotism that goes on, they couldn't get things done fast enough, and therefore they would have this, this sort of private organisation paralleling it, which would then go ahead and make the big moves, but it also fund culture and all the rest of it.
0: Well, and they always say the pen is mightier than the sword, and I was in the film business for 16 years attempting to try to change the system all single-handedly how bad for naive and my son is is completely obsessed with music so what you did before is certainly near and dear to my heart on a personal basis because I would really like to tap into your wisdom on what I could possibly recommend to him since music is his passion I really don't know how to advise him effectively nor do I want to burst his bubble prematurely and say well <laughs> unless you want to play the game and act as a puppet on behalf of An agenda by people you'll never meet you'd better just play your guitar for yourself and and never take it any further than that
1: yeah it's true no one bursts out as a star unless they make you a star
0: oh yeah this I've seen on on more than one occasion working in within the Hollywood machine definitely
1: yeah and this all started in Britain that that, even yet today the big foundations all go back through the White House even back to, to London Because it was at London, they formed the Royal Institute of International Affairs, which was to bring in a League of Nations, which then was to bring in a global government system, a standardized world of efficiency. Mm -hmm. And uh, the Council on Foreign Relations is just the American branch. you find most of these characters who run the big foundations are members of the CFR in the U.S. and the Canadian Institute of International Affairs in Canada, for instance.
0: So geographically speaking, London would basically be what would constitute head office?
1: Yes, it's the main office. In fact, their office at the Royal Institute of International Affairs became the MI5 headquarters during World War II. It was one and the same thing because the guys are all working in the same company. Work in both.
0: Tell me, Alan, what, going back a little further, uh, as far as, say, the French Revolution and Russian Revolution, were those also set up not by the serfs who were attempting to knock a few monarchs' heads off? Was this also something that was orchestrated?
1: Yes, it was orchestrated because we, we know the history. I've got all the old books written before and, and during and after to do with these revolutions. Yeah, because
0: um, I'm not about to trust, which is probably why I had a, a resistance to history. It all sounded bogus to me when I was expected to memorize and regurgitate it so it was definitely not my best subject but could you share with the audience what your version of how these revolutions came about because certainly any type of these massive uprisings certainly wouldn't be allowed
1: they they wouldn't be allowed not only that the elite are never stupid they don't wait for something to happen Right. They always have spies out. It's traditional. London had uh, uh, over 1,500 spies working for the Crown, just working in the city of London on a full-time basis, just going around the bars and coffee shops listening to gossip. And that's because that's keeping pulse on the publics, what, what their chat is, what they're talking about, what their topics are. And also, even then, in the 1800s, the elite were inserting pieces in newspapers to keep the people debating, talking, and then they go round the bars to see if that was working, to see if it was working and they were taking sides. They gave us us, our thoughts then, and they still do today, and our topics. The Revolution followed the United States Revolution. The, The United States Revolution was the first openly Masonic revolution in history, openly, they used all of the symbols of Freemasonry prior to then building up and, and to the, the revolution itself. Even some of the tokens they used during the revolution, most of the tokens had the pyramid on it, the Great Seal, long before it was put on the dollar bill in, in the 1930s.
0: So was that just to stake their claim on that territory?
1: It was. What they claimed was a novus ordo seclorum, which was a new secular, or you could say worldly, it's up to yourself, but secular order. I see. In other words... What uh, Thomas Jefferson said in his diaries. He said, "We shall make the, the natural aristocracy rule the country." And by natural aristocracy, they were talking about the high intelligentsia. So, uh, were
0: they actually anti-monarchists?
1: Not totally. No, and um, there was a schism there. Even the, the the founding fathers. Some of them wrote about the myths that they had created to get the war going. In fact. Uh, Franklin himself said, it's a myth that the taxation was the cause of the war, that Britain wanted to tax them. He says, who cares? He says, what, of spending a, a couple of pennies on, on tea every year. Yeah, that was a myth that they kept going to get it all going. In fact, they used, as always, young men to stand up at Lexington hmm. and, and kick it off. It was just to get the ball rolling. However, they had taken uh, almost 30 years to prepare for it. That's wow. Part the people. It was not spontaneous. And it was the first time in history they they themselves called it a great experiment, a a form of government. And it was followed by a a similar type, but on a step further, which was the French Revolution. And then we find in the old books written at the time, from England itself, by some of the aristocrats, the, the Soviet, the Russian Revolution, was the second great experiment. And then you had it followed up by Time Life, Man of the Year, twice in the 1930s, Adolf Hitler. And the aristocracy, just like the Soviet Union, uh, they were going over from London and visiting and watching and observing because this was another experiment, because they had chosen long ago that a form of collectivism would be the best and easiest way to govern the people by a small uh, aristocratic elite. And so what you have today is the coming together of, of the, what they claim are the better parts governing the people. They created a fascist new system of international corporations. Karl Quigley, in his book, called it the new feudal system where the feudal overlords will be the CEOs of international corporations. And he was all for it.
0: In your previous podcast, you were talking about many movers and shakers. Say, in the film and television arena, were present at these meetings where this type of agenda was being organized and planned out. People like Gene Roddenberry and, yeah. and members of that ilk. Did you could you elaborate on that? Because a lot of people simply don't look at their entertainment as a means of of programming them.
1: Yes, Tavistock Institute in London was the base the world, psychology, and changes to come from. They experimented in areas where today we begin to become horrified now that the lesser laboratories are using the same techniques. The Tavistock was using wires in people's brains back in the early 1900s. Oh, God! Huxley was part of that. He went there often He was a member and observed it. He thought it was just great.
0: And he um, was indeed an author as well.
1: Yeah. And he was descended from uh, Thomas Huxley who championed Darwin in theories. He was the best pal of Darwin. And that's another part of the story of the selective breeding. I mean, people don't realize that Darwin himself was one of quite a few uh, families at that time that were selectively picking their mates. Charles Darwin's grandfather married only from the Wedgwood family, the big pottery company. Right. His father married a Wedgwood. He married a Wedgwood. And when he's Wife died, he married his mother's sister.
0: All in the family.
1: And so this has been going on, this selective reading. Right. And, and his, his grandfather had written the actual origin of species before he did himself. And that was the first proclamation of a, a hidden religion, in fact, that had been here and you can trace back for thousands of years. Nothing happens by chance, but yes, the I can remember watching a panel of people in, in London. These were middle-aged people. Uh, had the, the Ivy League again, education. They all wore tweets, male and female. So it's sitting around a table, about 20 of them, and they were deciding who were going to be number one, two, three, and four right down in the charts for the coming month. Now, most people think, because the propaganda at the time to the public was that those who sell the most records and albums will get number one, two, and three, and that's how it works. But it doesn't. panels of very old, much older people decide which Ones are going to push and make it. The public, you see, buy what they believe are the winners. That's how easy it is. You make someone, as long as you say they're popular, they're the best. Youngsters who want to fit in with their peer group are afraid to be left out, so they'll all start partying at the same time. Oh, so and so is great. This guy's great. And this works very well, but they're actually chosen long before, and it's nothing to do with sales, because that's them guiding the type of culture that they want.
0: And that indeed was the case with the Beatles, was it not?
1: Yeah, with the Beatles, too. Um, they gave them a cover background, a few flashes of them, uh, supposedly in, in Germany. And suddenly they come from, you call it a, a rhythm and blues type band with the basic three-chord stuff. And they're, they're just churning out hit after hit after hit. Hmm. Literally, literally, they were getting a hit every week at one point. Most groups who sign contracts are lucky to get two albums out in a year. And that's part of what I did at one point was... Uh, to go in when they hadn't fulfilled or they couldn't fulfill their obligation to turn out another album and I'd write the stuff and lay down the tracks for them and get paid and walk away and leave it to them.
2: Mm.
1: So it's nothing like the people think it is. And I've seen some of the top producers come down to the studios as well and literally alter or, or demand that this be changed, that be changed, certain formats be pushed because it's a culture guidance and alteration technique it wasn't until years later I found out that at the top think tank, part of the destruction of a culture in order to rebuild it is the creation of nihilism and apathy, especially during the time I was going through it.
0: Oh, it's rampant now as well, I can assure you from what I've seen. Mm-hmm. Indeed. And then, then That's
1: true. I can remember uh, when they really started cranking up the volume of the, the guitars and so on over the voice, and so mm-hmm. you couldn't really hear the words too well. Yes and I wondered why this was so and it was uh, it was the segregation of the generation uh, the parents wouldn't think about trying to find out what the words were and at the same time they started to print the words inside the albums or the cassettes for the youngsters to read and, and so <gasps> the parents had no idea what these dancing groups were all about
0: well now the way that they're getting around that based on the music that my son is listening to again by virtue of peer pressure but he has a much more eclectic taste Uh, nonetheless the stuff that's quite popular now it's you don't have to worry about the volume of of the vocals because they're screaming it's not singing it's screaming so you can't make out the words because it's so loud I don't even think the guy who's singing the words <laughs> can hear what they are.
1: Yes, that's a fact. Uh, and uh, again, the parents never know, and they don't think to check.
0: Well, it's unbearable if you can't even stick around long enough to listen to it to be able to figure out what the words are.
1: Yes, that's right. And yet at the top, think tanks, again, for cultural change, as they say, must demolish the old to create the new. And so what they were doing was creating a, literally a stage of apathy and nihilism and helplessness amongst the young
0: yeah I'm seeing that uh, amongst Richard's generation I either see anger or defeat there's this fatalistic well there is no future I have no role models there's nothing for us to do there's nowhere for us to go that's literally the feedback that I'm getting from the vast majority of them and it's breaking my heart
1: yes it's awful but it's all around it's in every country too it's the same thing in every country And again, this is traceable. It didn't happen by, by accident. Nothing in culture that's laid out to the public happens by chance. Even the art, even, even the paintings. Uh, it's now declassified information mm. that the CIA from the 50s onwards, and probably before it, other ones would have it, but from the 50s onwards, they had a Department of American Culture And they were the ones who led all the cultural changings, including the nihilistic art. They funded all the major ones. They funded all the major authors, novelists, and poets from the 50s on down to the day. That classified information.
0: Rumor has it that Stanley Kubrick was embraced into the fold, but the, the moment he released Eyes Wide Shut, shortly thereafter, he mysteriously expired. According to them, it was a heart attack, but that's
1: yeah, he he was, uh, he was colluded with Arthur C. Clarke, a high mason with the, the Masonic agenda, actually, in allegorical form written in to the movies 2000,
0: 2001 10, right.
1: and then 3001 was his last novel, with their whole agenda in it is what they b- hoped to bring about. That was done in the 1960s. The first movie was done in the 1960s. They said there that this new sun would be born in the sky. Uh, kicking off in 2001. And 9-11 happens in 2001. That was for the higher ones in the know. To, so they like their entertainment, their own yeah. entertainment. And then 2010 was to be the completion of the unification of different continents.
0: Well, and you had the mass panic of Y2K, everybody assuming that because the computers were all, because of a binary code, everything was just going to do a, a global meltdown as a result.
1: Yeah. So everything is given to us even the things we worry about, how we should respond to things that happen in our lifetime. But yet culture creation is is the most important thing. Now, If your parents didn't know that the songs that they danced to and sang were also done by the same people for different reasons than just entertainment, then they don't know to tell the child. And the child is born into a world where if the adult does not tell them or warn them about things, They will take it all for granted, thinking it's natural. It's a natural evolution. And that's how simple it is. All mammals look towards an adult of the same kind to warn it and show it what is dangerous to it. And if the the adult doesn't know, the young have no fear. They think it's all natural.
0: Well, of course, in this case, ignorance is not bliss. Uh, Do you think the elite scored a big success? at least in my humble opinion, the fact that the family is fragmented and you've got this obsession with consumerism that has both parents working, children in daycare, elderly in uh, homes that are visited twice a year for Christmas and birthdays. I would say that that was a serious coup in terms of the cohesion of the family being a means of people feeling assured of that support that you were talking about.
1: Yeah, again, when you read the biography of H.G. Wells, now H.G. Wells was initiated early and as an author, they did depict certain people with certain abilities. And this was common from the 1700s actually onwards, was to write novels with social problems contained with them and give them the solutions that would seem to the average reader to be desirable, never realizing there was another ulterior motive behind it. We never get what we, we fight for. Wells was picked up and trained with a small group in the 1800s by, again, Thomas Huxley, granddad of Aldo. And they were all given red ties. Red was the color of revolution, and as for High Freemasonry, too, they have red, green, blue, and black, and also the yellow or gold one. They're different lodges. So he was picked and trained for his position, along with many others who became very famous at this time, and they wrote these things in fictional form, but also put in predictive programming. Predictive programming is the Tavistock method of familiarizing you with an idea which does not exist in reality at the present time, so that when it comes along in your lifetime, because it's so familiar, it seems like a natural progression, and you don't really analyze it any further, or all the consequences of it. So that through, mainly through fiction, they programmed the people for what was to come. That's been done through cartoons today, all the way through. And it's a science that uh, Beria talked about. He was the head of the NKVD of the Soviet Union in the 1930s that became the KGB. And in the Comintern meeting, the International Communist meeting at the time, he said it used to take us 70 years to alter the culture of a people along a desirable direction whole generation was 70 years and He says, Now, in 1934, he says, We can do it in five years. We can make major changes through scientific indoctrination by getting the young uh, about the age of two for, we now call it kindergarten. That was the same agenda that, on the supposed other side, you had Lord Bertrand Russell writing in his book, uh, Roads to Freedom and Education and the Good Life, uh, the same agenda. Uh, And they said both said in it, we must destroy the family unit. Russell said, we used to think that we'd have to take the children from the parents at birth to sever the ties of contaminated indoctrination from the parents. They said, but now if we can get the child at the age of two in kindergarten with specialized indoctrination, when they go home, anything the parents say will be negated. The child won't even listen. And so they already knew these techniques back then.
0: Oh, yeah, and it's going on its merry way, the polarization between home and what rules might be set by the parents versus what the the teachers are telling them with regards to curfews and mental abuse. And you must report anything that you would consider. The definitions are almost absurd, and I'm not even going to give the time to pursue that, but even things as ridiculous as curfews suddenly become mental abuse and you can't discipline the child whatsoever. So you you definitely have the polarization. The parents' hands are tied. The teachers' hands are tied. They're completely at opposite ends of the spectrum and and the kids know full well. Now they can go around and murder people and, and not have to answer for it or face the consequences if they're minors. So this is almost like a rite of passage where if you kill somebody, then you can join this particular group So this is a way that you can prove you belong by resorting to planned homicides before you turn 17.
1: Yes, and also then the elite themselves that bring all this on, and and again through culture creation and music and movies and so on, which actually began that part in the 40s when they started putting out the gangster movies. Then the elite turned around and said, look at the chaos in society. None of you can be trusted. We have to take all your rights away for safety. This is an old technique. Anybody well, else?
0: between that and now what they call New Age, which doesn't seem to be new at all, where everyone is supposed to just hug everyone else right. and assume that everything mm-hmm. is beautiful and so everyone's handed the rose-colored glasses and yeah. is uh, programmed to ignore what's happening right before their eyes.
1: That's a fact, uh, that the New Age movement was vastly written about in the 1800s because that's when they restarted uh, the big engine rolling, then it will take a hundred years for it to get fully implemented. They wrote about it then and what they would do, uh, what the public would think of it, what they'd believe, and then they also wrote about the real agenda.
0: So you went from minstrel to messenger, and that was as a result of encountering all of these highly powerful people and realizing what they were really after and not being able to produce music for the sake of producing music.
1: That was part of it, and yet even before that, from a very early age, I was, I was already digging into the histories to find out the real reasons for things. I couldn't understand why an empire like Britain had the vast majority of the people at working class who rented and who lived just from week to week. I, I couldn't figure that out. I knew the money was going somewhere, the wealth was going somewhere, it was all going to London to the, the same elites. And I thought, well, how come if if literally we've evolved emotionally and we're not so supposedly primitive as we once were, how come the same elite have no conscience? They haven't evolved. And then I clued in to the the whole con game of the reality we've been given and that they were constantly changing. Uh, Again, in declassified information from the CIA, uh, the Department of Culture for America was working hand-in-glove was the same department as MI5 and 6 in England. And they even sent their agents there to get trained in the culture industry. So yes. they could harmonize it all across the Western world at the same time. The departments in France and Holland and everywhere else had offices everywhere. And they funded it through the great foundations and black budgets, they, they funded uh, the present culture and the culture from the 50s onwards into existence. And that's in the art world of all all the arts and entertainments and in the music.
0: And I assume that those in the film business, it's the only area that I know anything about, during the McCarthyism era, I was, I'm assuming that those that were blacklisted and ostracized were the ones that refused to fall in line.
1: That's right. In fact, uh, again, in the Rees Commission, committee that that investigated the tax free foundations, you find that um, the head of the Ford Foundation, which is now run by the Rockefeller Foundation, hmm. uh, the head of them told them that they were promoting uh, the culture of the future in all areas in all countries for a different kind of world than the one that presently existed so so yeah, they really do. Hold all the reins of power to the things that we think are all normal, uh, and they funded the movies. They decided what movies they'd make popular, what format they'd have to make popular. You know, even the gangs of of motorcycle, the Hell's Angels, didn't exist before a movie that came out with Marlon Brando. Hmm. And when the movie came out, before you knew it, you know, it's like monkey see, monkey do. Was oh, yeah. Said. the the young malcontents as they thought themselves emulating what they saw in the movie and suddenly you had motorcycle gangs in existence. Uh, That's how it happened. The whole sexual revolution was part of it too because they they, they thought, well, and it's so clever because how do you get people to accept everyday abortions across the world? That was their goal, depopulation. Hmm. Uh, They said, well, what you do is you create promiscuity, create the problem of pregnancies and then come out with a solution. That's what they did. They tried it in the 1920s when they introduced jazz.
0: Right, the flappers. And, and, and yeah.
1: prohibition was the greatest thing that they did. The Bronfman family that was based in Canada, the mm-hmm. time leaders of it, Bronfman and Yiddish's whiskey man, just happened to have the name to fit what he did. <laughs> and he was given contracts from the, from the Canadian government to open up these booze cans along the, the up-and-coming railroad lines and brothels and all the rest of it. And old Sam said himself, he says, I'll get what I want. He says, uh, and this is when he was accused, or his brother was accused of murder. Uh, he says, I'll get, I'll get him off with it. He says, because I, every politician and Ottawa, says, I put them there.
0: Yeah, they and, were all in uh, his pocket.
1: Yeah, and during that era, he teamed up with the Kennedys and other families in the U.S., and he ran the booze. So it made, it made this exciting to the youth. Anything that's prohibited, it becomes exciting. Of course. And they go to the booze cans... They brought out the miniskirt for the Charleston and all these dances.
0: Well, when it comes to understanding human behavior, they've certainly got that locked down. And and it's quite unfortunate that that we're that predictable. Yeah. Was it Bertrand Russell who coined the phrase useless eaters?
1: He repeated it for sure. He did say that in in a couple of his books, talking about the useless eaters, when he was talking about a a uh, world-efficient system. Come to pass. He did say there would, there would be no place for useless eaters. See, everyone in this up and coming system, and it's still promoted a tenet of the Royal Institute of International Affairs, the world they're bringing in is a world which will constantly be in transition because they have goal upon goal to go through. We're just, our lives are just single faces of it. We are the building material to be used, altered, and worked towards it. But everyone must become a servant to the world state, to serve the state the world state will be your reward. Russell also said that those who do serve the world state may be given the right to breed their own offspring because at the top of this you have a eugenics system. They're true believers in eugenics and superior genes.
0: Oh, and which they... produces people like Paris Hilton. That's yes, it. Yes. Oh, that's joyful. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: Yeah, they were behind all of this eugenics experiments.
0: So, Alan, how did you go from a, a small mining community in Scotland to landing on the Canadian Shield? So you went from, oh, it
1: was, it was, from well one I mining saw.
0: area to another.
1: I got so fed up going back to Britain and watching the devastation during the 70s and 80s as it was being completely de-industrialized, and people were out of work. And every night on the news, they give these bland statements of factories closing down so many thousands of them. This is daily. And then when Maggie Thatcher came out on national television and said in her very arrogant way, there's a generation of youth growing up now who will never see work in their lifetime get used to it. Uh, That was the end for me because pretty well everyone I knew in Britain and had gone to junior school with and so on,
0: Fell under that category.
1: They fell under the category. Their lives were devastated. They lived on welfare. I mean, this was amazing. Thatcher also opened all the bars all day long. She, she changed the laws so they'd be open all day long.
0: Because well, that way better. they'll be all, yeah, they'll all be drunk and they'll either kill each other or pass uh-huh. out.
1: She says it's better having them in, the, in the, the pub spending their checks, their welfare checks, than rioting and protesting on the streets. Big Brother was a lie, had never left Britain from World War II. The authoritarian bureaucratic system is a model for the world. Massive bureaucracies and ministries for everything, which simply dictate down to the people every night on the news. It was such a depressing state of affairs. Now, in the 90s, they they altered it just to get us through this part of the big change. The gay people increased pensions. For the first time, they let anyone get a credit card. Before, you couldn't even get a bank loan unless you had some collateral to back it up with. And for the first time, they is throwing credit cards out. People are living on credit cards today.
0: Oh, That's most all. definitely. People are mortgaged to the hilt, and you've got to pay for the car and the cottage and the Rolex and the BMW. And you just wake up in the morning, go to work, go to sleep, and start all over again.
1: That's right. And everyone pretty well. It's only about one or two months away from the street themselves. Is? Yeah,
0: it's it's really living hand-to-mouth. What really makes me agonize all the more is the fact that our children become indentured servants.
1: Uh, that's right. In fact, we have all been put down as, as collateral to pay off the debt since the last Great Depression.
0: Yeah, I was loath to even uh, register my son for a social insurance number because I know what that social insurance number really means. You might well, as well sin. tattoo it to his forehead.
1: Sin is a sin, yeah.
0: Yeah, precisely.
1: And it also means you're in the darkness. It's the old Arabic Hebrew word for the moon. So you're in the world of darkness. You think it's a light you're going by, but you're not in the sun. That's for the higher illumined ones. Everything is a joke in our faces. You know, in
0: well, but I don't know. I'm not laughing. No, it's not. But where do you see us 10 years from now, given what you know, Alan?
1: Well, there's no doubt about it. The, the, the agenda was to really kick off big time for the big change in 2001. We're now headed rapidly towards the amalgamation of the world, for they have to at least have it open that we're now under world government. Get to there, to 2010, 2012 is, is world government. 2010 is amalgamation of the Americas to be completely integrated. They have to bring enough chaos on us so that the public will go along with it, thinking, I guess this is the only solution. That's what they have planned. However, this is called a never-ending story. That's where the term comes from. Because once this goes on, they expect riots for the next 30 years as they bring on greater changes. Because, you see, eventually, like Bertrand Russell said, uh, you won't have a job as such with a paycheck, a little reward. You'll have credits given to you that will go into your bank every week, which you cannot save up.
0: Right, and then you'll be allocated a specific amount of food for that, enough to put clothing on your back and have to be grateful for that alone.
1: That and, he said, this would be a form... It uses a form of social punishment. If you don't go along with the system or you criticize it, you'll withdraw your credits for the week and you won't be able to buy food or pay rent. The world to come is to be a world of renters, and that's written into the United Nations Habitat uh, Charter.
0: And where does the brain chip come into play?
1: The brain chip it will come in again for world peace. Now, there's two methods to get it in. They're always working. They bypass the older generation as they go for the young. Yep. to get the young to want it. So that's why all the superheroes now have brain chips. Right. The cartoons on. And, um, Be a
0: mutant. It's, it's superior.
1: Yeah. Then they start at the other end of the spectrum. The young and the elderly are always the first. They've already passed laws in Britain and some places, to start, and California and different states, to mandatorily put in chips. Now, the chip is just accepting it, regardless of where they put it. You accept it first, but they want to put in people with Alzheimer's and hospitals and patients and so on. So that's the start of it, the elderly and the young. And then they'll make the system so difficult to get along without it because all your registration in a cashless society will be from a chip. It will eventually go into your, your brain. There's no doubt that's where they want to put it. They had the meetings at Loyola University four or five years ago. I have the 600 pages that they put up there. It's a world meeting of scientists, the top scientists and bioengineers and all the rest of it. I got it pulled from the Library before they pulled it down. I knew they would too. And uh, the guy from Japan, the top specialist in this area, said, Well, they've created a protoplasmic type chip. This chip will, it's almost like a a form of tissue. So the body doesn't reject it? It won't reject it, but it also is meant to integrate with your nervous system directly into the neurons, and therefore it will receive and transmit to the person it's put into. And he says, this is ready to go. He said, we already have the regional supercomputers which will then program and run the people because you can be programmed to do any task. And he said, the only problem we have, the only problem is now to convince the public to accept it. And he said, this will be done. He says, partly through the promotion, through movies and fiction and novels and so on. So again, it's predictive programming, we'll think, is quite natural.
0: And I'm quite fearful of that. Being executed simply by witnessing all the people lining up for flu shots.
1: And even fighting each other if they, yeah. believe, they, if they believe the propaganda. In the
0: malls. It's, it's, a, it's just baffling to me that, that everyone is just walking completely willing into into the gas chambers, so to speak.
1: Yes, they are. And, and that's always been the way of it. For the people who've swallowed the complete 6 o'clock news version television reality and the newspaper reality, never questioned
0: so you've got your work cut out for you, Alan.
1: Oh, it's cut out. We we'll all do.
0: Well, yes, but you're one of the front runners with regards to attempting to, in any way, shape, or form possible, relay this information to as many people as are willing to understand and listen. And how would you recommend that we try to get the youth listening?
1: It truly is difficult. I always say it's best to concentrate on those who are trying to wake up, at least ask questions, because they're confused, they're asking the question, they just don't have the information. It's the information that you must impart to them in a proper way, that you don't overload them, and you don't depress them.
0: Right, that is indeed crucial, because yeah. they're already in that very delicate are. state of mind, and I don't blame them, quite honestly.
1: Here's, I, I always want to read the lyrics that someone sent me from a, a typical album that's popular here. i not about apathy, and nihilism. This is from a guy called Narls Barkley. I'm familiar with him. Barkley, G-N-A-R-L-S. Narls, so a dog can chew a bone or can gnarl the bone. You have bark after it, you see. That's just a typical little giveaway. And then it's called uh, St. Elsewhere, 2006, Necromancer. It says, wake up, wake up, wake up. Don't wake up, wake up, wake up. Aha, aha, by the way, is the, the from the OTO, the Order Temple Orientis which runs the New Age. It's a high misphonic group that runs the whole New Age.
0: Really? There was an Icelandic group by the name of AHA as well. Yeah,
1: that's why it's there. Huh. Alistair Crowley coined it. He worked for M.I. 6
0: Wow. And now
1: says, um, it's naughty, very naughty, necrophilia without a care. I'm compassionate about killing her. I'd have my way with what's left of the will in her, cosmopolitans and cocaine and an occasional pill in her. When she spoke, I saw a spark But it was dark, so I drove her home when she died. Sexy suicide. Sweet nothings is for the nam. You feel where I'm coming from. Have no fear. Everything is fine. My girl parties all the time. Did you hear what I said with this ring? I do wed. A body in my bed. She was cool when I met her, but I think I like her better dead. Wake up, wake up, wake up. Ha, ha, ha. I mean, this is what the children... These are the words, the stuff that you hear as a screaming chant Uh, These are the words they're listening to.
0: Oh, my God, I'm horrified.
1: And this is exactly what they said, nihilism and apathy. That whole Gothic era, again, that the youngsters go into, the ones who think they're rebelling, copy something from the Buffy, the vampire slayer, that starts off fighting vampires, ends up as good vampires, bad vampires, and they can drink blood. And they all wear the dark, macabre clothing. was created by the culture industry, by people, very old people, very wise in their uh, guiding that whole culture. Every, every movement that a youngster thinks they can join is actually planned that way. There's nothing coming out of their own mind.
0: Well, we've just got to do as much as we possibly can to circumvent that and I, I know that 2012 seems to be the cut-off date that everyone's talking about with regards to the Mayan calendar, but I think it's clearly got nothing to do with the Mayan calendar. You know,
1: Mayan, I mean, even the calendar supposedly is, is nonsense. For, they had it for 100 or 200 years, and they still didn't come up with the idea of a calendar uh, until they decided to write it into the New See, predictive programming uses prophecies. You create prophecies, and people, if they believe in them, both let it happen. Like the Christians think, oh, it's God's will. Uh, Revelations is we're all going to get punished and killed and all the rest of it. And there's nothing in Revelations that cannot be done by science today.
0: Well, and you relinquish your own free will because you become fatalistic about everything.
1: Exactly. And it's the same with all the whole New Age thing. It is written. And then you had.
0: Yeah, you've got instant surrender, no bloodshed.
1: No bloodshed. And then you have people like Zachariah Sitchin.
0: Yeah. Right.
1: Now Zachariah Sitchin is typical. Comes out with a unique version of a translation of the Sumerian tablets. Oh, is that else, how it started? Yeah, okay. and, and everyone else in universities don't even talk about them because they can't even take them seriously, because he's got his own translation to try and make people think, oh, it's the gods from out there, and this is where all the serpent stuff comes from and walking lizards and so on. You know, and again, fatalism with the year 2012 and all the rest of it is wrapped up in his writing, and his final book, of course, just happens to be the 13th one. And he is a member of the Ashmolean Society, which is a high Masonic group in Britain, all connected with MI5. So they give, again, uh, the youngsters fascinating stories, and then end up brainwashing them into fatalism, that this is inevitable. John Dewey, who was sent out to set up a standardized education system in the U.S., was the first one to say, well, you know, if we were attacked by aliens from outer space... We'd all have to come together and, and work together, altering the world.
0: And then you had War of the Worlds by H. G. Wells, H. G. Wells. And, and Orson Welles.
1: Yeah, and then again, in a book put out by the Club of Rome, one of the top think tanks on world policy and planning, uh, published in one of their own books, uh, The First Revolution, it's called. Well, what's reading? They said we looked around for a common enemy. This is the 1990s, and this was written by the two founders of the society. Uh, these guys put their plans to. Uh, The Bilderbergers and all the rest of them, because Hmm. the Club of Rome is the main think tank for policy for long-term future. To this day? To this day. And Mm -hmm. and they said, um, we'll run for a common thing to unite the the planet, because they tried all these ideas, space, is is it working, is it working, is it working, would they believe it? And then said, we we decided eventually to use the weather as an enemy and annihilation of uh, our atmosphere as the enemy uh, that will unite mankind. He said, because only a war against something has ever really helped us in the past to make great changes. But a war, and we shall conclude that the enemy therefore is man himself. That's what they said in their own works.
0: However, would that not also backfire on them because they breathe the same air? So if they're spraying the chemtrails, they're breathing that air as well. Does that not impact them and diminish their capacity to travel freely because they're...
1: What I I come to see here, you see, I do know that from professors down in society, they themselves and everyone beneath them is taught one level of each of the science, which they believe is the latest cutting-edge stuff. Mm. above them you have another group we, we know that the CIA from stuff that even shown us on television were using technology which could insert thoughts in a person's mind in the 1950s and Nick Biggit showed that on CBC television with the Wendy Mesley show uh, that was obsolete you said now, so that was on a higher level this is long before we knew that there was even microcircuit or solid state circuitry, they had microcircuitry back then but we were still using old tubes in the television. There's a higher level above them, above the CIA and medicine, physics, etc., which are even further ahead of that. So they have methods just like they do for people with kidney problems. You see these huge bulky machines in the hospitals where they do dialysis. They have small portable units that certain people can wear. They can wear it all day long. It fits in your pocket. They can decontaminate themselves on an ongoing basis. And then... It was when Preston Manning was in all the newspapers, an odd thing was mentioned. In all countries at the same time, this for politicians. The politicians were putting a bill forward for themselves that all politicians and their families and their members of their families would be given special treatment in high military hospitals, advanced military hospitals. And that was in the newspapers in Canada too at the time. They were doing the same in Britain at the time and everywhere else at the same time. And I said, well, why would they be getting special treatment why isn't the treatment that the regular people get good enough? And it's because they get advanced treatment for what was to come. And now we're being sprayed. And these characters, they all know it. but They're all getting uh, paid off. They're getting privileges, which the public will never see. The same thing happened when Bouchard... Do you remember Bouchard got that so-called flesh-eating...
0: Yeah, the Ebola.
1: Well, the little bit in the Toronto Sun at the time, if I remember, it was interesting. It said that he came down with it quickly... Eventually, they had to amputate his leg. Right. And he was the head of the Quebec party. But it didn't mention, and it didn't two lines. It said, his wife and his daughter also had it superficially, but both of them had it on their upper arm. Now, the two of the three main sites for inoculations or injections are the upper arm or the thigh.
2: Hmm.
1: So, what it, it dawned on me was, and this tied in to declassified stuff, they told us in books like Deadly Allies by the Toronto Star writer about bacterial and viral warfare that they always have antidotes to every new disease that they make in the laboratories because that's international law they must for every step of that disease they must have antidotes.
0: Oh that's my understanding where AIDS is concerned as well.
1: And what they've been doing for years is giving their good workers inoculation against certain diseases which are going round in society. And every so many inoculations, you'll have a batch where the virus or bacterium is not quite dead and it will actually start working within the person. So I guess he got a bad one.
0: Mm -hmm. Or maybe it was
1: intentional. But the Mm -hmm. fact that his wife and his daughter...
0: Well, he might have been getting a bit too big for his britches.
1: It could have been that, a warning of some kind. Yeah. But anyway, I mean, they do get um, the real stuff. Now, in a world of depopulation, they're
0: not going to give this stuff to the rest of the population. Of course not. Share with us some positive feedback with regards to the people that you yourself have touched and helped in some way so that we can end this conversation on a positive note.
1: What I find by trying to get through to the ones who are asking the question and who have just joined sides or solidified their thinking into someone else's opinions, I find the young ones, uh, there are a lot of young ones who have gone through the incredible confusion who are getting in touch with me, uh, teenagers, early twenties and so on, uh, who are... Putting it together for the first time to make sense of it by listening to what I'm talking about. Knowing that in itself stops them from thinking they're just crazy, or the the world is just crazy.
0: Or you might even avert potential suicide.
1: It, that happens. I've had quite a few like that too. I got like a lot. Of, it's almost like a social work department here. Oh. With, with, without an agenda. You know?
0: Oh, God love you.
1: Yeah, you can get through to them and you can give them reasons now for all the the bewilderment they've had growing up. Because it truly is difficult today. It's always been difficult for a teenager, but today it's worse than ever. It's like a fantasia, a circus.
0: Yeah, without question.
1: When you give them a grounding in something, then they can start becoming active and do deep, quick studies and start to inform people in the right way, especially their own peer groups.
0: Yeah, that's where it's got to happen.
1: And then we have to rethink the whole thing of life because we have never had an input into what we exist for, given to us.
0: Yeah, and anytime there's been a fight against a particular system, quite often there hasn't been a good one to replace it, so you end up, uh, as my mother would always say, same trough, different pigs.
1: That's right. And I always say, you know, that this all began with a commerce and money system uh, thousands of years ago.
0: So would you advocate as a better way to go about living one's life? Because you certainly are an example of that, given that you cut your own wood and lead a very aesthetic existence which is not to say that a person has to turn around and become a monk but still you are relying on the technology to get the message across but you know that it's just a tool and that would apply to how you live the rest of your life as well so that you're not compromising your principles by subjugating yourself to just make that extra income happen and and make yourself cluttered with things around you
1: yes that's right you see most people attack what's happening in the system we're in. Really, you want to stop time here and now and ask it not to get any worse in your lifetime. Yeah, I agree. But rather than say, wait a minute here. Uh, now, I know people in some of the shows I'm on hope and think that technology will save us. And I say, well, how can it save you when you never have a say in the direction it's going?
0: Precisely.
1: But the elite know where it's going. They directed it. You can't compromise with something that's already planned and stated uh, that most of you are going to be destroyed.
0: Looking for the easy way out is never the right solution.
1: And it's, and it's not easy, yeah. And I tell people that's the hard thing. You've got to say, well, what is society? But what, what is life about? Yeah. Um, we, start, we have to ha- bring humanitarian thoughts into this system because not only do you have a, a, a pathocratic, uh, psychopathic, inbred culture at the top uh, running this show, you have a psychopathic culture created by them that everyone else adopts. And when you adopt it, you have winners and losers. Most folk, there's always a, a hundred or a thousand people don't get that job. The one winner gets it.
0: A lot of people go off at the mouth, but when it comes down to what people are prepared to sacrifice, <laughs> that's yet, a whole other story.
1: The, uh, the alternative is extinction of consciousness. Yeah. That's what they say will be world peace when the majority are unable to even perceive them of themselves. This was said at the loyal meeting as, as an individual distinct uh, being. Uh, that's your alternative and we have to regain the humanitarian bonding the natural bonding and we could not have the same system because this whole system is theirs not ours
0: this may be why i've always gravitated and worked extensively with the first nations people because they at least well they they have a lot of problem with their young as far as the high incidence of suicide and alcoholism yeah. which is why they opened their doors to people like myself who's not native-born to, to pass on the traditions, because it is basically their last hope and they say it's our last hope to share that knowledge now this is not all, all about that tune into mother earth thing which is the next agenda the whole gaia they they just have an understanding of the cycles of existence and and synchronize with those cycles in in a completely natural fashion and that's yes. something that we need to do just to save ourselves
1: yeah we have been trained to earn money and buy things which are supposed to but every ad will tell you whatever from toothpaste to exercise machines it's going to make you smile like <laughs> this and it's not it's, it's a big lie we all know it's a big lie we're losing but we're losing our humanitarian aspect along this whole process, and that's what's allowing all this to to happen without our objecting to it, because we have a psychopathic culture given to us, where it's a shark-infested ladder, where everyone is forced into a system where dog-eat-dog, you have winners and losers. The ones who get to the top through clawing their way to the top are called successful, regardless of who they, they destroy on their way up. Yeah. That's success. That's not humane, and, we are, and yet we're using the society as though it's normal. This is not a normal way of existence. It's anti-human.
0: Well, we're putting those people on pedestals. The cutthroats are the ones that are emulated.
1: Exactly. We're told those are the stars, those are the successful ones, and you too can be like that if you're ruthless enough. <laughs>
0: Alan, can you share with the listeners who may have missed previous episode where we spoke with where they can get further information? You have published several documents and have put out CDs. Tell the folks where they might be able to get a hold of you and order that.
1: Okay. They can check in to C A and a few other ones, and also Alan Watt's Sentient Sentinel for Europe. And there they'll find lots of free downloadable talks I've given with uh, a lot of the history of all of this, the players uh, involved in this, and the societies that are in a pyramid structure all the way down to the bottom. And I tend and try to use their own books put out by the elite themselves or, or written for them uh, well-known authors, authorised authors—that's what they're called
0: authors—and
1: <laughs> then you, they can't uh, deny their own words or agendas when, it's, when they put it out themselves.
0: Absolutely, that's a brilliant strategy.
1: It's not debatable. This is what they, when, you, when you see what they wanted in the twenties, thirties, forties, fifties, sixties, seventies, etc., to the day you you'll see that they planned it all. They, they all made it happen.
0: I applaud you for what you're doing, Alan, and, and anything we can do to bring that out to as many people as possible, you can be assured, once again, uh, I'm on side with you, and I would very much hope that, I know that your your schedule is insanely busy, but perhaps we could keep in touch with you, maybe on a monthly basis, just to, to get a progress report and share some additional anecdotes and insights uh, with regards to what you're presenting and what the state of the world is. I'd be happy to, yeah. Thank you so much, Alan. We will be talking to you again very soon. Ladies and gents, I also would like you all to contribute to this dialogue. So please either leave a voicemail or leave us an email at godboxcafe.blogspot.com. I look forward to getting your feedback.